Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. What holds your heart? What stirs your soul? What matters come to mind? cares you keep, the thoughts you think, it's not all wasted time, seek and you will find, joy still comes in the morning, hope still walks with the hurting, if you're still alive and breathing, praise the Your head and keep singing. Praise the Lord. 
This is a house of miracles. 
read these words with me so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children and now we call him Abba father for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power love and self-discipline Oh 
Give God a big hand of praise for making us his children today. So I started playing tennis when I was seven years old. And the reason that I started playing tennis when I was seven years old is because there was this retired tennis coach that was in our church that told my parents that he would have me come and do a lesson for one hour every single week and he would give me that lesson for free. My parents were not tennis players. In fact, they hardly even knew what tennis was and what the rules of tennis were, but when somebody tells you that they're gonna take your seven-year-old and take him away for an hour and occupy his time and that it's gonna be for free, it was a done deal. So I started taking tennis lessons. At first, the tennis lessons were pretty simple. They were all about how to hold a racket, Maybe the next week it was about how to stand so that you could hit a forehand and how to stand so you could hit a backhand. But then somewhere along the way, a few weeks in, it got weird. I had an entire lesson where I never touched a racket. Instead, when I got there, Mr. Arnesarge, that was the name of my tennis coach, had drawn a, a circle on the court, in the back of the court near the fence, and it was a chalk circle that almost went all the way around, but then it had a little wedge that was cut into it, kind of looked like a big Pac-Man that was there on, on the, the court. It looked like this. And he told me to put my left foot inside that little wedge, and then he handed me the ball in my left hand, and he said, I want you to toss the ball up in the air and see if you can have the ball come down and land in that circle. Seemed like a pretty simple request, and so I gave it a try, and I found out that it wasn't near as easy as I thought it was to have it come down and land in that circle. And so it took me five, six, seven tries before I could get one to land in the circle. And once I did, he said, that's great. Now I need you to do that 10 times in a row. And until you can do it 10 times in a row, we're not gonna do anything else. It took me the whole hour to get 10 tennis balls to land in a row in that circle. We did that just about every practice to some degree. Every time I would come to a lesson, there would be on the ground somewhere on the court this partial circle with the little wedge in it, and at some point during the lesson, he would have me go over and put my left foot inside that wedge, hand me a tennis ball in my left hand, and we were at it again. 10 in a row, and as soon as we get 10 in a row, we can move on to something else. A Couple of months later, Mr. Arnesarge explained to me that when you play tennis, Every tennis game starts with a serve. And every point starts with a serve. And that I would be serving every other game through an entire match. And so he wanted to teach me how to serve. And so he took me over to the baseline. And when we got there, he gave me a tennis ball and put it in my left hand. And he had me walk up and put my left foot on the edge of that baseline. And he said, now I want you to toss the ball up in the air like we've been doing for a couple of months. And when the ball gets to the top of the toss, I want you to hit it and have it land in that box across the net. 
took one try. Because every point may start with a serve, but every serve starts with a toss. Over and over again, the toss went in the air to land in that little circle. I never knew that we were aiming towards a serve. And suddenly it was like Mr. Miyagi all over again, you know? It was the wax on, wax off thing. We're gonna wax all these cars and we're gonna paint this fence, but it's not gonna be about the activities of washing the cars and it's not gonna be about the activities of painting the fence. It's about something more and it's about something better, but we'll get to that later. I can't tell you how many tennis balls I've thrown in the air to have land in a chalk circle on a tennis court in my life. I can't tell you how many hours of my life have been deleted by trying to get 10 in a row to land in that circle. But here we are all these years later, and it's a lot of years later. And now I'm the old guy. And I've lost more than a step or two on a tennis court. But I can still serve. And I can because I know that that toss that starts the whole thing is going to be in the exact same spot every single time. This idea of repeated activity and habit and muscle memory that really doesn't lead you to what you're ultimately going to do that's about something, but it's actually about something more and something better, it's a pretty common coaching technique in all kinds of different sports and all different parts of life. In fact, Jesus used this coaching technique. He gathered 12 guys around him so that he could have this group of people that hung out in community together for three years. And for three years, they would do all kinds of things together, and they would go on all kinds of adventures together, but for three years, they would always just come together and sit in circles together and spend life together. And eventually, they would share that with the thousands of people that started the church and explain to them how important those little communities were going to be. Jesus also did a, a great deal of coaching on another part of what it means to follow him. On the subject of giving and generosity. But as we think about giving and generosity, and, and we think about all that that means, giving and generosity isn't just about dollars and cents. It's not just about offering plates and step-by-step -step instructions for online giving. There is more to why we give. And in certain seasons of life and in certain moments of life, this activity of giving, this repeated event of generosity in our life is not actually about the dollars and the cents. It's about something more, something better. Across the whole Bible, 2,300 times the subject of money, giving, and material possessions come up, Old Testament and New Testament. And there is coaching all along the way on those subjects. Because it turns out we needed to be coached on the subject of money and generosity and giving since the beginning of time. But what have we learned? 
What is it that we've been learning about why we give, about what is better and what is more? Well, let let me tell you very plainly what I believe the Bible teaches. I believe the Bible teaches that Christians, that followers of Jesus, should be giving a tenth of their income to the church. Okay, let me say it again so that there's not a misunderstanding. I believe that followers of Jesus are taught in the Bible that a tenth of their income should be given to the church. Now, I believe there are wonderful charitable organizations that are around the world, and so many of them that are right here in our community, and in fact, we as a church support many of those ministries and missions right here locally and around the world. And when we give to the church, part of that goes to those great and wonderful charitable organizations that are right here locally and around the world. And many of those charitable organizations, even the ones that are beyond our support, are are still based on the principles of Jesus. And giving to those organizations is a beautiful effort that happens in our world. But as followers, I believe we're directed to give our tithe to the church. And above and beyond that, we all have other places where we give, and that's fantastic. But why? Why do we do it? Why do we give? What is the the, the practice, the habit of giving and generosity really all about? Is it possible that perhaps it is a repeated activity that's about something more, something better? Let me go to the great commission that Jesus gave us. Jesus said these words as a, a marching order for all of us who are his followers. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And a significant part that we gather from that of who we are as his followers and who we are to be as the church is that we are here to make more and more and more disciples of advancing the good news of Jesus Christ and his grace to more and more ears and transforming more and more lives. And the efforts of advancing the gospel In many cases, not all cases, but in many cases to advance the gospel, it can only happen by the generosity and the giving of others. I mean, think about the the missionary journeys of Paul. Paul was, was spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. He was taking it to places where no one had ever been before with the good news of Jesus. And as he was going, he was traveling on ships and he was feeding his entire crew and he was taking care of all these missionaries who were with him and he was not a millionaire. That was not coming out of his own pocket. It was people in churches that were supporting him and allowing through their generosity for the good news of Jesus and the gospel to advance. Because you see, generosity advances the gospel. Because of giving that happens right here at First Christian Church, we're able to have a student ministry. 
a student ministry that, that meets the needs of high school students and middle school students, but also helps middle school students and high school students know that they are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of right now. And through our student ministry, we have middle school students and high school students who are serving right now in the church and in our community, advancing the kingdom of God right now. And because of the giving that happens here, those things can happen. Because of the giving that happens right here, we have a a, a new facility over here for our children's ministry, a $2.5 million expansion and renovation that took place so that our children's ministry could, could reach more and more people. Not so it could be a better childcare facility. Let's be really clear about what our children's ministry is for. It's to advance the gospel, to advance the good news of Jesus and his grace being shared with more kids and more families through our ministry in Kidtown. It was part of the church. In Acts chapter four, here's this brand new community that's come together. It's only been together for a few years. Acts chapter two is where the church gets started. Acts chapter four is just a couple of years later, and this little community that's come together that we call the church, it's actually not that little, it's thousands of people, and here's how it's described. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. And they brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which is how we will know him for the rest of the New Testament, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet so that ministry could happen, so that the gospel gospel could be advanced. These were people who were already tithing They were already giving a tenth. Now they were trying to figure out more ways. More ways that they could give to advance the good news of Jesus to more and more and more people. That's the community that's described for us in Acts chapter four. But that was 2,000 years ago. About 20 years ago, a guy named Sean O'Neill gave a report about the state of the church. He said immediately following World War II, people gave proportionately far more of their income than they do today. This report was written in 1999. And in 1999, the average evangelical Christian gave 3.5% of their income to the church. And O'Neill would go on to say that Because of that, as a result, the average church had been forced to back off of its giving to outreach activities and to missions by more than 50%. But that was 1999. The most recent statistics that we have about all of this, which actually date back to 2019, tell us that evangelical Christians in America have dropped their generosity and their giving to the church down to 2.5% in those 20 years. That's a long way from the giving that we see explained to us and described for us in the book of Acts. So what impacts have we missed? Dave Ramsey 
once wrote about how different America would be if Christians tithed. And I don't mean what if Christians had been tithing, but if just all of the sudden, right now, Christians decided that this point forward, they would tithe. Here's what he said. There would be no more welfare in North America. In 90 days, there would be no existing church or hospital debts. In the next 90 days, the entire world could be evangelized. There would be prayer in schools because Christians and churches would buy all the schools. And that may seem like an exaggeration, and that may seem like really an overstatement to you, but maybe the reason it feels that way kind of explains how far off we are from advancing the gospel in ways that we could advance the gospel. But it's not just about affecting change for the sake of change. It's great that through our giving and through our generosity and through the practice of that and through the routine of that, there are programs that can continue and there's ministries that can flourish and and there's opportunities for people to come to things. But there is something significant about our giving and our generosity that doesn't just fund projects, but it actually shares the love of Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit more about what Keegan mentioned earlier at the beginning of our service. Let me tell you about what took place with our dollar club here in this last month. Now, if you don't know what the dollar club is, um, just through the exit doors, just one door in before you get all the way out in the hallway, there's little wooden boxes that are on the sides. Those little wooden boxes are our dollar club boxes, and we just encourage people to drop a dollar in the dollar box as they're walking out. It's a a different thing than than your tithe. It's a different thing than your offering. It's just an opportunity for you to just drop a dollar in a box and see what might happen. And the idea is that we collect all those dollars at the end of the month and, and all of those dollars come together to help one family in our community who's in need. Now specifically, it's a family that's not connected to First Christian Church. It's a family that's local around here and it's a family that's been suggested often by people right here at First Christian Church. In fact, if you wanted to make a suggestion for someone to to be a Dollar Club recipient, you could actually go on the website and go to the giving tab and it'll take you right to how you can make a suggestion for the Dollar Club. Or you can write down that suggestion and give us a contact information and drop it in the Dollar Club box on your way out. But we have folks who look at all those suggestions every month and then just decide where to take all of those dollars, which ends up to be really thousands of dollars, to, to help somebody who is in need. Now, as that takes place, we we sit down with those folks and we get some details about how we can help. It's not just about handing them a wad of cash. It's about figuring out how we can really impact what's going on in their life and going on in their world. And this past month, we had an opportunity. And when our folks got in touch with this person to find out the details that we could help with, they shared the story that Keegan shared earlier. They shared the story that, you know, they'd kind of come to a place where they'd been praying for Jesus to help, and he hadn't helped. And as sickness got worse, not better, kind of lost their belief in Jesus, that Jesus was listening, and if there was a God out there, they were starting to hate him. 
But because of what transpired here in the last few weeks, what they've come to understand all on their own is that Jesus did hear them. And he wasn't just listening. He loves them. Because you see, within those times that we have those conversations, we're able to say, look, this is all coming from people at our church who are dropping dollars in a box, but the reason they're dropping dollars in a box is not because they want to be recognized for those dollars and not because they want to help you because of them. They want to help you because of the love of Jesus. And they want that love to shine through. It's not about the dollars. It's not about the sense. It's not about the recognition. It's not about the people. It's about Jesus. And we see that in the book of Acts. We see it unfold in Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter four, verse 32, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And in Acts chapter two, verse 45, it says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This was just an opportunity to be generous, to participate in a repeated activity, to participate in a habit that could do more, that could do better. And when people who were outside of the church saw that generosity and say, they saw that spirit of giving, they saw that it was different than every other part of the world. And I think people see the same thing today when we get it right. When the church gives and the church is generous, it is different than it is in the world. And what happened in the first century as that was taking place is that people were watching this generosity and people were watching the giving spirit of the church and they wanted in on that. They didn't want in on the dollars and cents. They didn't want in on the money. They wanted in on that spirit. They wanted in on that attitude that existed in that community that we know as the church. But it wasn't just happening in the church so that people outside the church could receive something. This activity that was happening over and over again with the church, this repeated activity, this muscle memory, this habit of doing something over and over again, of giving and giving and giving and finding more ways to give, was advancing the gospel, was sharing Jesus into the world. But maybe more important than what was happening outside of the church, there was a change that was happening inside. Because that activity and that habit, that generosity transforms you. Giving changes you. Your generosity changes you. You can give something, we felt this before, you can give something, you can give to something, you can kind of take care of something that somebody asks for, and for a brief moment, you feel that transformation that hap happens inside of you, but it's fleeting. It's fleeting because it gives us a, a little snapshot of joy in that moment, but then even within the latter part of that day, we will return to our selfishness. Unless... We make a habit out of it. 
unless it becomes a repeated activity, unless it becomes something that is done as part of our day in so many different ways through muscle memory and suddenly in the midst of all of that, we start to move away from our selfishness and lean into selflessness and instead of just getting a little blip of joy, we experience transformative joy in us. Now usually when when somebody tells you that something is good for you, that's like the death nail of the whole thing. You know, the moment that mom told you that broccoli was good for you was a bad day for broccoli, okay? The moment that the doctor told me that I should get out and run because it would help me, that was a bad day for the phrase, it'll be good for you, okay? It'll be good for you is not a phrase that we kind of lean into happily. There's a knee-jerk reaction that we have to somebody telling you that something's good for you where we decide it's gonna be uncomfortable and it's gonna be bad and we don't want anything to do with it, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Giving is good for you. Generosity is good for you. Tithing is good for you. Jesus said it better though. Jesus said, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap when you give. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. As I've gotten older, I've noticed something that has changed in me in in terms of this idea of generosity and giving. And and I'm not sure if it's maturity, I'm not sure if it's experience, I'm not sure if it's just nostalgia, I I don't know exactly what it is. But in all those occasions, in all of those moments where in the past, especially when I was a kid, I I was all about receiving things and getting things and and having things put in my lap. Suddenly it's in those moments that it's all turned on its head and I am all about watching someone else receive what I'm giving to them. Take Christmas for instance. I think that pops into our head pretty easily. When I was a kid, man, I was rummaging around in the presents. I wanted to know how many presents were for me, what size those presents were. When people left the house, I'd start shaking them, trying to figure out what they were. And I still love to get presents. In case you were gonna get me one, I don't want you to feel bad about that. But I'm a kid on Christmas morning because I can't wait for someone to open what I've gotten for them. I can't wait for somebody to to receive the gift that I have thought through and that I thought would be perfect for them. And Paul says that that reality would become part of who we are as a church, that we would completely turn on our head and instead of being all about what we can get and being all about opening what somebody's gotten for us, we would be people who would be so excited to give. And he quoted Jesus and he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter six, verse 21, he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It doesn't take a great deal of work on our part to figure out where our treasure is and where our heart is. You can look up your bank statement online and kind of walk through all of those expenses and start to figure out what it is that you treasure. 
And if you're really organized and you're really on top of things, you probably have, I've never been great at this, but my mom was awesome. She had that bank book down to every check and she could show you everything that's happened. And maybe that's who you are and you could pull that thing out right now and you could see pretty clearly whether there's evidence that there has been a transformation towards selflessness and away from selfishness in you. So much of what we are able to do together, so much of what we are able to do as a church is because of the generosity of you. I mean, we were able to get started on this expansion and renovation for Kidtown because three years ago, and some of you were there and some of you remember this day, three years ago we had a special day and we had people that were walking down the aisles in the midst of some worship time that we were doing and singing time that we were doing and they were walking down here and, and they were giving money that they had kind of been putting together to give towards that project and they were giving commitment cards of what they were gonna give over the next three years and, and we're coming to the end of those three years and because of those commitments, and because of that money that was given, and because of some of the response that's already come in towards those commitments, man, we were able to get started and we were able to complete that construction. But we're not done. The construction's done, but in case you didn't know this, it's not paid off. There's still debt to pay. And there's still commitments that are, that are, that are coming forward, and that's fantastic. But it's not just about buildings and it's not just about dollars and cents. We're not done. Because there are still dreams. And there are still ideas. But some dreams and ideas have had to be shaved. And some dreams and ideas have had to be reshaped. And some dreams and ideas have had to be put on hold because we are only going to move according to the generosity of the followers who are here. Which is why Paul instructed Timothy, who was a young preacher in a church, with these words. He said, command those who are rich in this present world. Let me stop right there. Let me just let you know that those who are rich in this present world is all of us who are sitting in this room right now. So command them not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And he goes on to, to tell us later within that same passage that there is joy that is going to come from that. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's the abundant life that is waiting for us as followers of Jesus, the abundant life that is waiting for us as Christians, and the abundant life is something that we think of that is waiting for us, that is somewhere else, but there is an abundant life that is right here for those of us who are followers of him. 
It is a life of selflessness and it is a life of sacrifice where followers give and followers are generous and followers tithe. So, if there is a change that you need to make to this part of following, because along the way you've missed out on this repetitive activity, you've missed out on this habit of giving or this habit of tithing, if there is a change that needs to happen to this part of following for you, I wanna urge you to make that change happen now. Because here's what happens when we think about this. If maybe we've been kind of convicted by this and we think maybe this is a change that needs to happen in, in us following, we will then put a little pin in it and say, when it gets to New Year's resolutions, this is one of those things I'm gonna do. Or I can look at this, but quite honestly, I'm gonna wait till the next financial quarter so I can reorganize some things so that I can give. This isn't about finances. This is about following. And this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. And so if there is a change that needs to happen, I wanna urge you to make it happen now. Because this habit of giving that we're involved in and this habit of generosity that is part of our life is not there for the sake of the habit, it is there for something more and something better. More advancement of the gospel more sharing of Jesus, more transformation that happens in you. And lots of it tends to come down to this topic and this subject of generosity because it turns out that it's a follow thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, you have taught us about giving and you have taught us about sacrifice and you have taught us about selflessness, not only through the stories of giving and sacrifice that Jesus told, not only through the scriptures, the 2,300 scriptures that show up about such things, but ultimately through the greatest sacrifice that we will ever know, the sacrifice of everything that you had for us that Jesus would come and live a perfect life, give us that incredible example and model to follow, and then sacrifice himself, give all of it up so that we might receive grace, that we might receive forgiveness, that our sins could be overcome. God, we thank you for that gift and we thank you for the challenge to give of ourselves and to let that gift reach into our world and share your good news with more and more and more people. But it's for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and all that we learn from it that we thank you this morning. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. I'm gonna ask that you would stand with me this morning.
This morning we talked about giving, we've talked about generosity, and for a lot of us who are here, maybe you've held your breath through the whole thing, maybe you've been sweating the whole way through because this is one of those topics you don't like to hear about. I get it. But let me tell you where we learn about it most. We learn about it most through Jesus who gave everything for us. And he gave everything for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done. His grace is enough for you. And if today needs to be a day that you say yes to receiving his gift of grace and his gift of forgiveness and his gift of leadership for your life, then we invite you to walk right down these aisles as we sing here in just a moment and say yes to Jesus and be baptized in his name. Or maybe you're here this morning and and you've made that decision, but you want to be a part of a community. You want to be a part of a church that's leaning into the leadership of our king. And we'd love to have you be with us. And so we invite you as well, if that's a decision that you want to make, to walk right down these aisles as we sing. We have folks who will be here to talk with you and pray with you and answer questions that you might have. But we invite you to do that. But for the rest of us, we have this opportunity that's all part of following where we get to lift our voices in praise and worship and celebrate our God, our creator, our master, our savior, our king, our father. Let's celebrate him, lift our voices in worship right now.
same. I've been getting.